Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Our guest today is Mike Wojtala, the executive editor of Soccer America, and in my opinion, the journalist responsible for the most substantive work on issues of particular significance to me as a follower of U.S. soccer. His interviews are must-read stuff. He broke the story about the Youth Soccer Diversity Task Force that included almost zero people of Latino descent. He's been closer to the Hugo Perez situation than most people. He's doggedly highlighted the youth national team coaching vacancy crisis, and he just came out with another great interview this one with John Hackworth, the former U.S. U-17 coach. You should check it out on SoccerAmerica.com and subscribe. It's uh, They're doing incredible work and have been for longer than anybody else. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, and thank you very much for that very nice intro. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's let's start with the news of the day. Uh, Serginio Dest, as we all know, announced he was, he's going to play for the USA. Uh, Ajax actually announced it for him. This was a big as everyone knows, kind of a big uh, question in the air. What's your What's your reaction to that? Yeah, obviously good news for the U.S. national team program. Um, I think I would have predicted that he would lean toward the U.S. Um, you know, the other factor would have been, I'm sure he feels more Dutch than, than American and that he grew up wanting to play on the, the Netherlands national team. But um, I think there's a couple things. One is I think he's, he'll know he'll be very confident of being a starter, uh, getting a lot of playing time if he plays for the U.S. You know the way that the Netherlands produces players. You have you know you don't know how many competitors he's going to have in the next few years. And I do believe um, a person like Sergio would would there be a, a matter of loyalty as well because the U.S. national team program gave him a chance. He played in the U17 World Cup, and the U20 World Cup, and and then he, I'm sure he's built relationships. So. Um, it sounds like a good good decision for him and a good one f- to happen to the U.S. national team program. Yeah, uh, some much needed good news these days. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of bad news, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. I know you're you're on the road, but uh, the U-17s lost to yeah, Sen- yeah. Senegal last night. Yeah, any sort of big picture thoughts? And yeah, so I mean, okay, it, it, these are young players, right? So. Um, we don't know what's going to happen when they play Japan or the Netherlands. Who knows? They could come back in this. Um, right. I think the the one thing we're looking at while we're watching this is that it happens in the shadow of the U- U.S. Soccer Federation dismantling its youth national team program. Um, you know, the U.S. national team program, the U.S. soccer was actually famous worldwide for the way it prepared its U-17 teams. Only Brazil has come, gone to as many U-17 World Cups as the U.S. You know, up until this cycle, they had... Um, they had a residency for the U-17s. Their schedule to prepare was equaled or exceeded probably all the teams that would go to one of these. Um, the U.S. soccer didn't give these kids their coaching staff until last March. Um, they had a number of people on staff that would have done a perfectly good job, like Dave Vandenberg and uh, Sean Sakaris, who'd been working with the team for a long time. Uh, Sakaris had actually been to the uh, last U-17 World Cup because under Tab Ramos, the Federation had a system where the assistant coaches of one youth national team would work. Uh, I'm sorry, the head coaches of one youth national team would work with an, as an assistant coach with the one above it. So they would get experience and they would be prepared to go to uh, that next team if needed. And, and so I believe 
that if you look at the past um, World Cups, you'll almost always have had coaches at a U-17 World Cup with the U.S. boys who had been there before. Um, you know, the, the, the staff that they have now, I, it was obviously not going to be as familiar with the boys and perhaps not as familiar with uh, American boys being in a situation like this. Not, that's not to say that, um, you know, Senegal didn't turn out to be much better than we thought they were. Right. Uh, we're a formidable team. Um, I know, you know, I listened to your analysis um, on the game on your podcast, which I thought was excellent. Um, the only thing I would add to that was, um, you know, we talked about, you talked about a lot about the athleticism, uh, which obviously is a factor. You know, two years ago, the U.S. beat Ghana, which would have been um, – similarly uh, athletic i would say so anyway that's uh, we'll see what happens in the future but it, it, it the eyes are on the fact that this is happening at this point uh where there are too many questions about what's going on with the national team program well let's let's get into the the stuff i have prepared here and I'll, i'm going to sort of sure. switch it around i wanted to start with the the latino task force but let's let's go right to the the youth national team coaching vacancy why are they not filling jobs in the youth national team ranks i mean you Maybe, maybe could you just sort of summarize the the vacancies and how long they've been vacant, and then and then answer why you think they're these jobs aren't being filled? Yeah, youth national team coaches started leaving the federation uh, at the end of 2017 and throughout 2018. Um, mainly, mainly all of them mainly left except for Friedel, who left a little bit before. Um, you know, after the regime change, after Cordero became the president. Um, and um, Tab Ramos, who was supposed to be in charge of the youth program, uh, was no longer able to hire coaches. He was basically um, taken out of the loop by U.S. soccer. So they, um, it seemed to me that what was going on was a kind of a cleaning house, uh, house cleaning, um, because there's a new regime. Now, that may be acceptable because it's something that happens, but it's one thing to uh, clean house. It's another thing not to replace anybody, which is, I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's completely mind boggling. Why in the world would you not hire coaches? And you can also look at the last couple of years and three years, um, of the youth national team program on the boys side. And I make a very strong argument that it was as, uh, it has progressed to a level that it had never seen before based not only on the results, uh, you know, getting to quarterfinals of the U-17s and U-18s, right. um, which, you know, was unique except for England. Um, in general, we've got a lot of more players than ever who have been courted and signed by pro clubs. So that must say something about that. And in many cases, these kids who have gone on to the pros were discovered, you know, while playing for the youth national team. Now, Tab Ramos is very clear that the, that the progress of the youth national team is thanks to the to the you know work at the club level, um, but also the, I believe that the national team program was being was relatively effective and promising. So, okay, why do you clean house if that's the case? And two, if you did, why didn't you? Why, why how can you not keep it fully operational? And I don't know how why that is happening. It's, it's hard to explain. I don't know if anybody can explain it. Maybe it's they just want to wait until they have their own technical director in in charge, and then let him or her, probably a him, do all the hiring. Uh, I guess they're scouring um, Holland and other parts of Northern Europe for somebody, and they can't couldn't find anybody yet. I really don't know. Yeah. You know, the, 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 a lot of the answers that to the so, to the problems that the U.S. Soccer Federation has is right in front of them. Uh, there is so much talent in soccer at the youth level and in and, and, and other areas um, that is willing to help and would be competent to help and, and, and would have their heart in, in it the way that the, the previous staff had. I know for a fact that the people that were working on these national teams, you know, that was their life's work. They cared about that more than they went through. They, they were, you know, they, they would 
they would make sacrifices. They would take pay that I think was, was too low for these positions. Um, and, and they're there. And, and why are they being ignored is, is another indication, I believe, that the Federation has lost touch with its membership and with the soccer at the grassroots and what's, what's really happening here. Look at who's who's there at the Federation, who's left, who's left at the U.S. Soccer Federation who understands American soccer, especially at the youth level. I, I, I don't have an answer for that because I can't think of one person. Huh. Not one person. Ernie Stewart, Ernie Stewart does not have experience in, in American soccer besides his short stint with the Philadelphia Union. He, doesn't, he hasn't spent a lot of time on the youth fields of American soccer, and he is in charge of everything else. Yeah, right. Well, you know, Wiki, Rafa, Rafa Wiki, the coach of the U-17s now, who was he was the one who was hired in March. I think a, a lot of us were pleased with the work that he did with that group in CONCACAF qualifying. They they certainly looked better at the end of the tournament than they did at the beginning of the tournament. And I wonder if, um, you know, is that just because CONCACAF is so weak like we go into this, we go into this game with Senegal. We look like we're not even on on the same level. Is is uh is the weakness of Concacaf something that's going to make anybody look good in a Concacaf? Um, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if it's that, and and I and and I and, and it's hard to say what would have happened if Ricky wasn't there. But but it is true that um, if you had had uh, if you had kept on a coach like John Sakaris, he had experience of watching a team go through CONCACAF and then playing a Ghana and then playing a Paraguay uh, and a Colombia. You know, the, 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 the U.S. national team program is, it has been full of coaches who have spent years and years and years taking players uh, into different situations. Um, and I think that's a valuable experience that, 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 that Wiki wouldn't have had. And I'm not questioning whether Wiki's a good coach or not. Um, but it is a fact that he did not have the experience with the American player that, that, that so many other viable candidates for that position would have had. Yeah. Okay. And I know, I know Sean, I'll just put in a word for Sean Sakiris. Like everybody I talk to who is aware of him or has worked with him praises him. And that seems like a sad thing that he had to leave. I guess it was last year, late last year, early this year. Yeah. 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 And you know, hopefully these kids, cause I think, I don't, you know, I think there's talent in this group. Um, and it's a hard turn- tournament to navigate, uh, you know, and, and it's an interesting tournament. It's a tournament I look forward to very much because it's a fantastic age group to watch. And it's a, it's a great, great test of playing against different styles. So they have a, um, you know, African team, the Asian champion and the, the European champion that they get to play um, and, and group play. And that's a, that's a neat thing to be able to watch and to see how they handle it. And, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they'll bounce back. Uh, you know, that's part of the coaching uh, staff's um, job is going to be to build them up after this, uh, you know, defeat. Oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah, yeah. Three teams, and, and it, it's a, it's a, one of the, it's the way the tournament's set up because it's twenty four teams. You've got uh, four of the six groups will have three teams at advance, so it, it, it's not that hard to advance even if you lost your first game. Right, still alive and kicking. You yeah. <laughs> you interviewed you interviewed Nico Romaine and Ryan Mooney, who is no longer with U.S. Soccer, about a year ago, uh, about coaching education and some other things. I do want people to sign up for a Soccer America subscription, but I wonder, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable, could you sort of share what you took away from that interview? Um, yeah, so Nico Romain was hired uh, by the U.S. Soccer a few years ago from the Dutch Federation, where his job was. Um, in education and coaching schools. Um, and this being during a time uh, when the Netherlands hit rock bottom and the men's team didn't qualify for the European Championship or the World Cup. Anyway, 
So Nico Romain is in charge of everything. Uh, Ryan Mooney at the time was chief soccer officers. Um, both people who had, um, say, who, who controlled what Tab Ramos could do, even though Tab Ramos had a million times more experience, was a million times more qualified to make decisions about the youth program. Anyway, in this interview, I asked him a number of things about what was going on and how they were uh, uh, handling certain issues that I think are important. Uh, a couple of them that, that, that jumped to mind are the stringent uh, coaching licenses and how expensive they are and how I believe they shut out. Um, Latino coaches and lower income coaches. And one of the examples and that I know that, and that the development academy clubs have had a hard time with is the strict restriction that, uh, requirement that you have to have a B license to coach the academy team. So that means that you have to pay coaches more, you have to spend more money on getting them licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question was whether they really believed that a C licensed coach was not qualified to coach an under 12 or an under 14 game and they gave some you know weird pseudo academic answer about yeah no you need a b license which i think is absurd and it's sort of they're contradicting their own system if they you know they have this rigorous c license um and then they say well yeah you went through all that you paid all this money but that's not even good enough to coach a you know 12 year old boys so that was the kind of thing that was going on there and 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 i think that was kind of it showed a little bit how uh, you know that you bring some sort of Dutch mindset to, to American soccer and not understand what kind of a burden a requirement like that places on the grassroots. Um, you know, the other question I asked them was whether it was true that um, among ABC licensed coaches, um, it was only about, you know, 5% Latino or so, and they claimed that they did not know the demographic of their, um, of their coaches, um, which yeah, to me doesn't sound that. good. It sounds like they weren't trying hard. I mean, it's not that hard to figure that out. Right. Um, but you, and you should, right? You should, you should know that because you're a national organization and whether it's soccer or not, you want to represent your membership. You want to give uh, opportunities to all of your membership. And in soccer, it's especially important that we pay attention to the Latino community because of obviously their, um, the, the soccer talent that's there and the soccer culture that's there that makes our entire soccer culture a richer one and, and, and a better one as far as, uh, you know, it's the way soccer works. You, you, you embrace the different, uh, diverse, diversities of your of your soccer community and that usually turns into good soccer you know you see it in club soccer in europe any team look at them they've got a combination of uh, european latin african type players uh, national teams even have combinations of different types of players it's, yeah. a, it's a great formula for success that we need to embrace um you know especially when it comes to the, the federation that's coaching schools yeah, it, it didn't seem to me that they, they they didn't come across as seriously interested in figuring out how to lower the cost of coaching licenses or get more Latino coaches licensed. And no, uh, that's me editorializing a little bit, I guess. Romain is the what, I, I can't remember what his exact title is, but he's still chief sport development officer. Okay, so he's still there. Yeah. He, I, I, do you have any any insight into? Last how... I heard, he, last I heard, last I heard, he's still there. So um, one of the few people. Still with the Federation yet? <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking about something serious. They, they've got like 20 something positions to fill. Um, you know, because Ryan uh, Mooney's successor, Asher Mendelssohn, didn't last very long. He's gone. Jared Nicholas, who was running the administration of the youth national teams and the development academy, is gone. Um, all the youth national team coaches are gone. Uh, a number of administrators are gone. Do you have any idea how Romaine's job interfaces? Sorry to use that word; it's a horrible word, but interfaces with uh, <laughs> with um, with Stewarts at this point. Like, 
Are they? No, that's a big question. And that's the, that's the big question because now Stuart is in charge of absolutely everything, and that includes, by the way, the women's and girls' national team program. Even though, as far as I can find out, discovered Ernie Stewart has zero experience in women's and girls' soccer, but he's also in charge of that part of the federation. As an aside. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay. Well, let's talk about the let's talk about the diversity issue. You you wrote um, you wrote that story. Uh, month ago about i think it was would you mind yeah it was september early september yeah yeah can you walk us through how you got onto it how you reported it yeah so the so when carlos Godero was uh, elected president uh, shortly after um he promised that he would you know pay more attention to to the grassroots and get feedback and address several he listed several issues of challenges in youth soccer that we're you know all familiar with that that um, he was going to create a task force, and, and that was going to, you know, represent the youth uh, community in soccer, and, and they were going to address these issues. And when they first announced it, it was remarkable because uh, they, they, named, they named a group of, uh, you know, nine, and they were all the usual, you know, they were basic, they were the leaders of the youth organizations. They were the people who, had, you know, who had been around forever, the usual suspects, um, and it was, uh, you know, uh, it was white white men. There was no representation of. Uh, women or um, minority groups and uh, but they said we said okay well what's the deal here and they said no 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 don't don't fly off the handle we're gonna um we're gonna add more we're gonna working groups we're gonna make this uh you know we're gonna add more don't so we waited and waited and we asked we asked you know where's the list where's the list where's the list and one day i finally got the list and there were about 60 people on it and i looked at it and skimmed, skimmed through it and i didn't notice any latino names and so I, and uh, it turned out there weren't uh, there's a one woman a latina um from aoso who actually just entered entered soccer a couple of years ago she's more on the marketing side otherwise no one zero 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 person uh you know with latin american descent you know on that on that task force, um, which again, you know, is, is absolutely mind boggling. Um, because even, you know, it's the United States of America, right? So even if this wasn't any, it is any organization and you came up with a list of 60, someone in the company would scan it and say, Hey, whoa, 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 hold on here. You know, (laughs) this doesn't look right. Um, but we're also talking about soccer, right? So that's even more important because of the, the, you know, the culture and, 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 and the fact that anybody who's been involved in soccer understands, you know, that this is a big part of our soccer community. Um, interestingly enough, you know, there has been progress and, and which I think makes my case even stronger that you need to um, have representation on the task force and the coaching community. And that's the fact that um, our, our youth national team program uh, has actually done quite well when it comes to Latino players. If you look at all the pools from 14 to 20s in 2019, it's about 40 percent Latino. You know, they're, they're play, we are recognizing finally that the, this is a community that offers good soccer and, and, and the kind of soccer we like, and, and um, it's happening. So, but they don't have the coaches that would understand the way they might want to play, um, and they don't even have representation on the task force. And, and that goes even beyond the players and everything else. I mean, uh, you know, there's a, <laughs> the Latinos. Um, represent a huge proportion of referees in this country. You know, it, it, I think that that's something that should be paid attention to and referees in general, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's what happened. And they told us afterward that, yeah, they were going to add some Latinos. So we're waiting for that. Still waiting for that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you, you follow the palace intrigue at soccer house, probably as closely as, as anyone. I mean, you're more keyed into this stuff than, than anybody. 
how was this not noticed? I mean, how can this happen? It's so it's so egregious. Well, that's that's a, a that's kind of a uh, a sad one, a one that um, that worries me. And, and the reason I say that is that you know, in the past, we're used to things like this happening, um, and 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 usually you would think, okay, it's an oversight. It's a uh, um, or they don't understand or something. And, and you want to hope, you want to really, really hope that it's not intentional. Right. Um, and I'm still hoping it wasn't intentional, but it's, it gets harder and harder. Right. Because it's like you said, it's egregious. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and, and you just worry, especially in this era that we're living in. Right. Because in the United States, you always believe, at least I always believe that soccer is almost a sanctuary where we will always be, welcoming of everyone in our soccer community. We always have been, I think anybody who's involved in American soccer, um, you know, appreciates the diversity of this country and, and embraces it and understands how good it is for everybody. Um, you know, and so I've always believed and felt comfortable and, and enjoyed being in the soccer community because mm-hmm. that's how I feel about it. So when you see something like this, um, you know, 60 people and, and no Latino representation, and then the last Latino coach in the Federation, Tab Ramos, you know, gets pushed aside. Uh, he's, you know, he's moving on, but he's moving on because uh, he wasn't wanted there. Um, not that's not to say that he, he that Tab Ramos, uh, you know, it, it isn't going to be a great MLS coach. And it's a good thing for him to move on, but yeah. Right. So <laughs> they do that and they follow it up with having no Latinos in their coaching staff. Who ultimately is the person you would like to talk, you would like to talk to about that at soccer house who you haven't been able to talk to. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely need to talk to Ernie. That's uh, number one on my list. Um, yeah. And you know, the, that's, we need to hear from Ernie. We need to hear from Cadero. Uh, one of these days, they they need to hire a CEO. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, Hugo Perez said in a Nation article. I mean, I'm just going to keep on with this catalog of, uh, of sure. sad stuff. But he said in a Nation article last week that part of the reason he was fired from U.S. Soccer, which I believe was in 2014 was because he spoke Spanish with some players, which adds to this sense, at least on the internet, that Soccer House is a bunch of cartoon villains. What is you, What is your take? What What is going on there? Um, so I can't tell you exactly why you got fired. Um, I think that... Um, I think the issue with Hugo Perez is that everybody I know uh, respects his scouting ability and his connections to you know, the talent of the Latino community, his, his ability to make the players and the families feel comfortable. So he's a, he would be an asset to the U S soccer federation. You know, if the position he had earlier, and I, I'm not talking about the, because I don't know the, about this, the Spanish speaking stuff. That's, you know, if that's part of it, it's stupid because, you know, that's something that can be addressed and that can be handled in the, but anyway, the, And my point is that 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 if there was a, if if his if his position at the time as technical advisor wasn't working out the way they wanted it to, I think the next approach would have been to 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 have a position that would suit Hugo. You know that he's too valuable uh, not to have on our side uh, when it comes to his scouting, um, player identification. You know he'd be an asset, obviously. Um, 
especially because in the United States, it's so rare that we have someone like that and, and, and that we, the Federation doesn't seem to try to find people like that. So, um, you know, now Hugo is, is scouting for Mexico, which in the long run could still be good for the U.S. because one of the greatest things that ever happened was Mexico scouting Mexican-Americans because that was a huge wake-up call. <laughs> and if it takes them to, you know, if they discover the kid, um, there's also there's always a chance the kid can come back and play for the U.S. So, <laughs> see. right. But uh, you know, Ugo is a, is a, was one of the greatest players ever played for the United States. Um, you know, he had the, he went through the similar immigrant experience, and a lot of these kids. Um, you know, he had a, he was coach of a terrific group of players that included Pulisic and McKenney and Johnson Gonzalez, and um, you know, he, he 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 had a good run there. And so, it's, it's too bad he's with the other side. Yeah. Well, I got a couple other things here. The the development academy you know this is this is fresh on my mind watching these watching these boys last night against senegal it it did seem like we were soft compared to them uh you may you may disagree with that but i wonder if you agree how do you think the da is is doing at preparing players for for pro soccer for yeah so i um I'm not going to go based on that game. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but I'm just okay. saying that, that my answer is going to be about just in generally. Uh, I think the DA was a very good idea in the beginning, and I think it did a lot of great things for American soccer. I think when it comes to some of the players moving into the pros and being prepared for the pros, the DA has gets, gets some credit for that. Um, one thing that I think is a giant problem with the DA is their strict regulations and rules and everything. And then I'll throw one out and it, and it relates to what you said about, uh, you know, the players perhaps being soft. And that's the fact that, you know, if they, if they play on a Sunday in an adult league and get, get discovered, they get, they get punished. They get suspended. If they sneak out and play for their high school, they get suspended. And, um, you know, they get punished. The, the, the federation right, has gotten to a point where they think they're so perfect that they that players don't need to do anything else to play in their academy. Um, and you know, I've been to these academy events, and and I'm very impressed with soccer at the development academy. You know, it's a, it's it used to be in the old days. My impression was that a really good team might have three or four great players and a few good players, and then some like that. You know, the overall quality of the DAIs I've begin to gone to is impressive, and you know, it's also been very good for the Latino player. It's been yeah. fantastic for the Latino player. A lot of these play, you know teams like the Galaxy, especially Brian Clyburn's teams, um, FC Dallas, etc. But what I noticed when I was watching these DA, DA games, I go, you know, this is a great environment for the kids. It's a great environment for the coaches and referees. It's a wonderful thing. But, you know, maybe on Sunday they should go out and do something a little scrappier. And um, right. and almost every player who's made it, who I've talked to, like whether it's Clint Dempsey, um, <laughs> Ramos, and you can ask this like the directors who are directing who are players who are directing DA clubs, they'll tell you that they would sneak off and play in adult leagues, you know, even in college. And that was a big part of their development, especially in the Latino community where the, you know, their uncles will be playing or something. And um, so I think that the, that the DA is at a point where it has to be reevaluated. Should U S soccer even be doing it anymore? Maybe the pros do their own thing. And then the the amateur clubs do their thing. Um, But let's kind of like back up a little bit and say, okay, let's, bring some freedom back to the clubs to decide how they want to do things. And part of the reason I think is that we're such a giant country and, and certain things might be better in one part of the country than in another part of the country. You know, I, I would regionalize things more. Um, I would back off on this whole like cookie cutter approach. Everybody's got to play this way. 
you know, that's a, that gets back to the coaching schools a little bit. You know, I've been around for a while, and I think anybody who's around for a while knows that whatever they're telling us is the way to play soccer now, it's going to be something different five years from now. So why do we have to, like, have everybody in the country do the same thing? Let's have people go ahead and do what they think is good and, and, and see what works out. And, and if they're worried that, okay, you're going to have clubs that are playing crap soccer and, you know, Route 1 soccer and Buddha soccer that, that we don't like to see, well, that's not a bad thing either because the teams they play against, those players have to learn how to deal with that too. So I think we need to, you know, loosen things up again. Um, and now I think I'm much more confident in saying that than I would have been 15 years ago when the DA was, you know, was, was getting started because – um, back then, I think I think right now I have a lot of confidence in the coaches and the clubs at the grassroots level and the youth level. I think so many clubs want to do the right thing, coach the right, you know, by, they want to play good soccer. Uh, they want skillful players. They, they, we've, I think we've all kind of advanced to what we know is successful soccer, um, which is the, the more sophisticated game and also more entertaining type of thing. So I think we're at the point where we can trust our coaches and not have someone who we imported um, you know, from Northern Europe to make the, uh, to set a standard that everybody has to follow. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else you, you want to talk about? I don't want to keep you too long. Um, <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to be optimistic and I, um, and, and I do think that sometimes we think that, you know, there was a time where I think there was a, too much negativity where we thought, well, everything's going wrong because, we didn't qualify for the world cup and that we forgot that we had actually come quite far and a lot of people had done, done some good work. And even if the last couple of things they did didn't turn out perfectly, that didn't mean they did a lot of good things in the past. Um, unfortunately with what's happening at the youth national team level, um, it's hard to, to try and find the positives because that was the area where we had a lot of optimism and the Federation is um, not handling the program the way they, they should be. So I, I just, you know, want to hope that something gets fixed. Um, because I do still believe in American players and they're better than ever. And I believe in American coaches. Um, we just need to some leadership that, that understands that. Yeah. Okay. Well, looking forward to your interview with Ernie Stewart and your interview with Carlos Cordero as early as next week. Just kidding. It might not be that early, but we're working on it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, keep up the good work, Mike. And thanks for your time. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. 